Well, good morning and a very warm welcome to St Swithin's this morning as we gather together to worship as one at ten. We hope and pray that you're having a good summer, that you're safe and that you're well and making the most of the fact that it's warmish uh, to enable you to meet with other Christians. You know, do take the opportunity to meet with other Christians, to encourage one another, to spur one another each on, to pray for each other. Other Christians are God's gift to each one of us. We're finishing our summer series by looking at the Kingdom of God. The church is here today because 2,000 years ago Jesus came announcing and proclaiming that the good news of God's Kingdom was amongst us. And God's Kingdom affects every area of our lives and of God's world. And the good news is each one of us get an opportunity to respond and to be part of God's Kingdom. That's good news. That's what we celebrate. That's why each one of us are called to a life of thankfulness. I don't know about you, but it's the most amazing gift to be free of guilt and shame, to be forgiven, to be washed clean, to be made new, and to know that the power of Christ's death and his resurrection means that we can spend eternity with God so we have no fear of death, to be restored to a wonderful relationship with our Heavenly Father. The good news of God's Kingdom is personal to each one of us this morning and it's good news for you and I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father would your Kingdom come, your will be done, in Walcott as it is in Heaven. Amen. What did Jesus mean when he said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed? One of Jesus's intentions was almost certainly to say that his kingdom, unlike the kingdom of Rome, would not announce itself with military strength and subjugate its enemies. Rather, his kingdom would work from the inside of people's hearts, virtually unseen, like yeast, and grow into something gracious and powerful, but quite unlike the other kingdoms of this world. The mustard is not a tall and mighty tree like an oak or cedar, but rather a fast-growing, slightly unwieldy, sprawling plant. Its seed was the smallest in common usage at the time of Jesus, and it certainly would not have been top of the list of impressive tree specimens in the minds of any keen gardeners or farmers who might have been listening. There is an interesting history of trees that represent kingdoms in the Bible. We all know, of course, that the story begins with trees in God's original kingdom. The humans in Eden were tempted to eat from the forbidden tree out of a desire for control and power, which ultimately saw them sent out into a kingdom of wilderness. Later, Moses, following an encounter with God at a burning bush, led his people out of an oppressive kingdom into another wilderness, a place where mighty trees could not be cultivated or strong roots put down. The people of Israel had to shelter under whatever wild bushes and shrubs they could find. For a people that has spent much of their history wandering through the wilderness, a tree represents permanence and stability. And certainly, 
Many of Jesus' followers would be hoping for Jesus to establish a mighty cedar to rival the kingdom of Rome and may have felt a little disappointed with the contrasting image of the unimpressive mustard. It is in the major prophets of the Old Testament that we find the most helpful imagery to help us understand what Jesus was suggesting in today's passage. Jesus may be speaking a little tongue in cheek when he describes his kingdom as the mustard seed, particularly in light of the passages he is echoing from the Jewish scriptures. In Daniel chapter four, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream to do with a mighty tree that is brought down. And Daniel explains to him that it is his kingdom that is the tree that will ultimately fall. In Ezekiel, the prophet frequently uses the image of mighty trees that fall when prophesying about pagan kingdoms. In chapter 31, Ezekiel refers to the kingdom of Assyria as a mighty cedar, taller than the trees in Eden and more impressive, but ultimately destined for ruin. In chapter 17, Ezekiel draws a contrast between pagan kingdoms and the kingdom of God. The tree-based language used to describe God's approach to establishing his kingdom is clearly echoed in Jesus's own illustration to do with the mustard seed. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. Ezekiel 17. When read as a parallel to Jesus's own words about the nature of his mustard seed kingdom, we see that God's intention has always been to establish a kingdom where the low tree grows tall, sometimes referred to as the upside down kingdom, where the first are last and the last first. The echoes of the Ezekiel prophecy are clear in Jesus's own image. Both passages include the Eden-like image of birds of every kind, sheltering under the branches. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom about subjugation or dominance, but it is a kingdom to do with providing shelter and protection for all those who need it, just like the original design of the garden in Genesis 1. The humorous difference, of course, between the Ezekiel image and the image in Matthew is that the cedar sapling has been changed to the mustard seed. Jesus really has taken the idea of the low tree one step further. His kingdom is now a mustard rather than an offshoot of a cedar. What can we say about this change? The image has become even more lowly, even more humble, and is of course a direct product of Jesus's own identity as the servant king. If you are a follower of the servant king, you are more mustard than cedar, because that is the way that this new kingdom works. 
Jesus, of course, also fulfilled the prophecy in Ezekiel by being planted in a high place, hung upon a tree on a high hill above Jerusalem, stretching his arms wide so that birds of every kind, Jew and Gentile, might shelter under his branches and find his healing and protection. The mustard is a fast-growing low plant, and clearly Jesus is referring to the brevity and urgency of his salvation ministry. He is telling his people that it is not his intention to raise up an army and establish a mighty cedar on this earth, but rather gather together a disparate people and raise up a low, fast-growing, humble mustard tree. I do not know this morning whether you regard yourself as a mighty tree in this world, tall and strong and handsome, or rather a slightly unkempt, wild, twisty tree that might not be at the top of anyone's gardening wish list. The good news of Jesus's kingdom is that he is not interested in building a mighty cedar kingdom that follows the pattern of this world. He has planted a mustard seed, an impossibly small, seemingly insignificant, fast-growing and sprawling thing that grows well in the wilderness of this earth. It might not be objectively handsome and impressive, but it does provide shelter from the heat of the day for birds of every kind. And that means you and me. We, the church, are a manifestation of the mustard tree, a sprawling, higgledy-piggledy set of branches that grow well in wild soil and ought to provide shelter for all who are lost and who seek the healing contained within the leaves. The good news, of course, is that the story of the kingdom tree does not end with the cross or with the mustard. There is a further tree image that tells us that although Jesus has planted a mustard tree kingdom here on earth, it is just a foretaste of the kingdom to come. A tree has been planted that rises even higher than the cedars of Assyria or Egypt or Rome or America or Britain or China. There is a tree of life planted in the new heaven and the new earth, quite unlike any tree of human cultivation. Indeed, there has only ever been one tree like it, the one that first stood proudly in the garden in Genesis, offering eternal and full life to the first humans. We read about this tree in Revelation chapter 22. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The mustard seed is only a foretaste of what is to come. It is merely a shadow of the new kingdom that God has established. And because it is a mustard, we can be part of it, despite our wild, twisty, unkempt natures. But the mustard is not the end goal. As Christians and as the church, we should try to grow as far and as wide as we can so that we can provide shelter for others who are lost in the wilderness. But we must not forget that the mustard itself is not the final design. There will come a day when we will be transformed replanted and sitting under the tree of life whose leaves of healing will be abundant and because of Jesus no longer will there be any curse.
Amen. Let's pray together. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Lord God, as we come in prayer to you this morning, we begin by giving you thanks for Jesus, our Lord and King, who came into the world to rescue sinners and invite all people into your kingdom. We thank you that you sent your son to bring good news to the poor, sight to the blind, freedom to the captives and salvation to all people. Anoint us with your spirit, rouse us to work in his name. Father, by your spirit, bring in your kingdom. Send us, Lord, to tell the world the good news of your healing love. And we particularly pray this morning for our mission partners serving all over the world and for the Genesis Trust as they reach out to the poor with practical help in and around Bath. Father, by your spirit, bring in your kingdom. Send us into our community, Lord, to bring your love and peace to all those in the coming weeks who'll be returning to school as teachers, teaching assistants, senior staff, governors, and of course, pupils. We pray for your special peace as children and adults alike relearn to, learn, relearn to be together in school. And we pray your protection on our schools, colleges, universities across the city. We pray for wisdom and good sense for all those making decisions daily within these institutions. May they know your leading and guiding as they seek to keep up with regulations and adjust daily to new ruling. Father, by your spirit, bring in your kingdom. Send us to proclaim that the time is here for you to save your people. Father, by your spirit, bring in your kingdom. Amen.